Stay tuned now for AJC Live with Scott Richmond on 1460 WVOX. Shalom, and thank you so much for tuning in today to AJC Live. My guest today is the well-known Holocaust historian, Professor Deborah Lipstadt. Her new book, Anti-Semitism Here and Now, launches tomorrow and will be the subject of today's show. My name is Scott Richmond. I'm the regional director for AJC, the global advocacy organization of the Jewish people. We're live from New Rochelle, New York, on the first and third Mondays of the month from 12 to 1. WVOX is the voice of the people. Call us with your comments or questions at 914-636-0110. In case you missed a show or want to pass it along to others, you can find all past shows in the AJC Live archive. There are 106 shows to choose from. Just visit ajc.org forward slash westfair and click on the image of me with the WVOX microphone to see the full list and to access the podcasts. The most recent show featured Nadine Epstein, longtime editor of Moment Magazine, which was co-founded by Elie Wiesel. We discussed her new book on Elie Wiesel, as well as many other topics from the Arab-Israeli conflict to anti-Semitism and much more. AJC Leadership looks forward to welcoming Nadine to Westchester this week. If you do not have a chance uh, or did not have a chance to listen live or wish to pass it along to others, the link to the podcast of the show is available at ajc.org forward slash Westfair. Professor Deborah Lipstadt is the DeRote Professor of Modern Jewish History and Holocaust Studies at Emory University in Georgia. She is perhaps best known for her very public battle with Holocaust denier David Irving, who sued her for libel in the British courts in 1996 for calling him a Holocaust denier. With incredible determination, and a lot of help, including from AJC, she thankfully prevailed. The story was made into a successful movie a few years ago called Denial. Uh, fans of this show will recall a very powerful interview of her on AJC Live just a few weeks before the movie premiered. And now Deborah has returned to this show on the eve of the launch of her next important project, her new book called Anti-Semitism Here and Now, which I've had the privilege of reading. I look forward to discussing the book and more with today's special guest. Welcome, Deborah, to AJC Live. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Deborah, so much has been written about anti-Semitism over the years. Why another book about anti-Semitism at this time? Well, a couple of years ago, I began to see that there was indeed a perceptible rise in anti-Semitism coming from the right, coming from the left, coming from Islamists, uh, extremists, and it just was, it felt like it was something a little bit different. So I did what academics do when they see a problem that interests them, that intrigues them, that troubles them. I sat down to write about it, and hence this book. Little did I dream that it would have such relevance. So, uh, you know, you speak about anti-Semitism on the right and the left and, and uh, uh, from different quarters. There was a time not too long ago in Westchester, certainly within my lifetime, when anti-Semitism looked different. It was a time when Jews were not admitted to country clubs, when they could not climb the corporate ladder, and when there were quotas for Jews in universities. Those mm -hmm. days are thankfully long gone, and many thought anti-Semitism along with it, but anti-Semitism seems to have an incredible mutating quality about it. Just when you think it's been eradicated, it comes roaring back in a different form. 
Can you give our listeners an idea of what anti-Semitism was traditionally like and what it, what it looks like today in comparison? Sure. Um, I call, I just, I'm giving a talk on the book, and they asked me for a title that wasn't anti-Semitism here and now, which, of course, is the title of the book. So I said, old wine in new bottles. The anti-Semitism itself, the charges themselves are not new. We've seen them, we know them, the templates for an anti-Semitic charge. You know, sometimes you say, I know it when I see it, I feel it, I know that's wrong, but you can't quite figure out why. Well, here's what you should look for in an anti-Semitic, to sort of judge, evaluate uh, if something is anti-Semitic or just someone doesn't like you, (laughs) which is also possible. Um, And that is, it will have something to do with money, with finances. It will have something to do with power and often using that money in a way to, to exert power to get control. And it will have something to do with uh, smart intelligence, but the nefarious use, the malicious of those smarts. So the last two, the power and the smarts, are sort of interrelated. Um, and I'll tell you where it goes back to a little, uh, very brief history lesson for your listeners. If you really go back to the New Testament and the story of the death of Jesus and the way that story has been taught um, over virtually millennia by many, not certainly not all, but by many church, I'm going to use it, what might sound like a sexist term, but it's accurate, church fathers, you know, some church mothers, but mainly church fathers, um, that's where the teaching came, that the Jews are devious, because look back at the story of the death of Jesus in the New Testament, the way the story has been interpreted, the way the story has been taught, um, that the Jews uh, demanded that Jesus be killed. And of course, Jesus was a Jew, the Jews were Jews, but that's, that's a fact. You know, ignore that for the moment. The Jews demanded that Jesus be crucified, crucify him, crucify him, um, because he wanted to chase the money changers out of the temple. So there you have the template. Um, Money, and they're using their power. Now, the third element there would be they didn't do it themselves. They got Rome to crucify him. Now, Rome was not just governing Palestine at the time, but Rome, it wasn't yet called Palestine, Judea, Samaria, whatever you want to call it, Israel, um, uh, Rome was the most powerful entity in the world, the greatest power at the time. So um, there you have the elements that because Jesus was threatening their financial gain, they uh, figured out how to have him eliminated, and they got the most powerful entity in the world to do it for them. Uh, So that's sort of the template, and no matter what topic you look at, you're going to find some use of, some reliance on that template in an anti-Semitic charge. And and really the sort of traditional anti-Semitism of Jews as the Christ killer uh, has has changed so much over the years. I mean, uh, obviously leading up to the Holocaust and and Jews being accused of being capitalists and also being accused of being communists. 
Jews being accused of uh, of all different sorts of things that that are somehow dichotomous. Yes, mutually exclusive. You can't. Last time I checked, you can't be a capitalist and a communist at the same time. Last time I checked, you can't be pushy and wanting to get into places where you're not wanted and be clannish and sticking together and not letting others in at the same time. Uh, Anti-Semitism, this might be most helpful to your readers, anti-Semitism can best be thought of, best be described as a conspiracy theory. A conspiracy theory makes no sense. A conspiracy theory um, is irrational. It blames one group for all your problems or one entity for all your problems. Um, It's an irrational way of looking at the world, but it provides a very convenient way of saying, ah, this happened, it happened because of the XYZ. Well, you've got to put in that slot for the XYZ something that makes sense to people. If you were to say, you know, I lost my job because I'm left-handed and there's a conspiracy against the left-handed people, we'd say, you know what, we're taking you over to Bellevue or whatever the local psychiatric ward is because you've got a serious problem. You think, well, you you know, the left-handed people are against you or the world is against you because you're left-handed. But if you say, you know, I lost my job because those Jewish folks took over the business or the Jews are cornering the market on whatever thing it might be, the reader, the listener, who is the least bit steeped in, in you, exposed to anti-Semitism, says, oh, well, that may make sense. So, you know, so it makes sense to people because it's been around so long they've heard it, whether they've heard it in a religious context, you know, Christianity, Islam, whether they've heard it in, and again, I'm not, you know, blanket condemning all Christians, all Muslims, that would be terrible and that would be wrong. Um, Or they hear it in a political context from the left, from the right, whatever. The the form stays the same. So why the title, Anti-Semitism Here and Now? I had a much more confusing title, and the people at Knopf, at Shokin, which is part of Knopf Random House, felt I needed something uh, a little more... To, to uh, you know, make it clear what I was talking about—that this wasn't a historical discourse on the history of anti-Semitism. There's a lot of history in it, but it's really about the contemporary stuff. And they suggested anti-Semitism here and now. To be perfectly honest, and I've never said this publicly, I don't think I was a little hesitant about the title. I said, I said to the marketing people or the people who decide on the final title, you know, help you work through your decision on the final title. Um, I'm not sure that's right. They say, we think it is, so I said, okay, I'll go along with it. Uh, I, finished right. the bo- <laughs> I finished the book at the end of September, then came Pittsburgh. So. Right, right, right. All right, so we'll, we'll get back to more of this uh, interview with uh, Professor Deborah Lipstadt from Emory University right after the break. Uh, you are listening to the AJC Live Radio Show on WVOX 1460 AM, a Whitney Global Media Station in New Rochelle. Call us with your comments or questions at 914-636-0110. More of AJC Live right after the break. Let's return to AJC Live with Scott Richman on 1460 WVOX. I now continue a fascinating discussion with Professor Deborah Lipstadt, who wrote Professor of Modern Jewish History and Holocaust Studies at Emory University. Her new book entitled Anti-Semitism Here and Now launches tomorrow. And I've had the privilege of reading this important book. A reminder that this is the AJC Live radio show. 
I'm Scott Richmond, the Westchester Fairfield Director for AJC, and I welcome your comments at 914-636-0110. Uh, Deborah, I'm uh, sure that you were shocked by the murders at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, but were you surprised? No. You can't be surprised if you've studied this. You can't be surprised if you've looked at the history. You can't be surprised if you look at the way it's metamorphosized over millennia. And you can't be surprised if you listen to the rhetoric of people, of leaders, of uh, whether it's in Charlottesville or lots of other places, um, uh, or on the left, you know, uh, comments about Israel, comments about uh, the, how Israel is the, the worst, you know, committer of, of misdeeds in the universe, etc. You can't be surprised. But you can be shocked. Um, you know, the way you've written the book is uh, very interesting. You've chosen a very engaging style for the book. It's written as a series of letters between you mm -hmm. and your students who raise concerns to you. Uh, they, they're, they're not actual letters. They're, they're obviously contrived for this purpose, but it's a very engaging style. Why did you choose that? Thank you very much. I'm glad you found it engaging. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate that because I tried very hard to make it engaging. Um, what it is, as you point out, it's a form of letters. Uh, let me give you some background. I started out writing the book as a straightforward sort of academic history and studies and uh, different data, and it was so boring that I was falling asleep as I was writing the book. <laughs> and I said, if I'm falling asleep, what's going to happen to my readers, you know? A. B, I didn't want this to be a book to be read by 10 people. I want this book to have broad appeal at the same time that it's an academic book or a scholarly book because that's who I am. That's what I am. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a popular writer. They all have their place, but I'm not one of them. So, so I was really frustrated. I mentioned this to a friend, and a few days later she called me and she said, Letters. You should write this book as letters. And, and that clicked. And then I first I had to figure out letters from whom to whom and how to structure it. So what I did was I went back through all the emails and the notes and memories of conversations that I've had at Emory University with my students. So people, students, students actually write you letters. Is that, is that a phenomenon? They would write me a note. They would, or they, more often than not, they'd come in my office to talk about it. Or I'd be at a conference or a public lecture at, I don't know, everything from University of Michigan, uh, a whole variety of different universities. And afterwards, a student would take me aside quietly and somewhat privately and say, you know, I had this thing happen, and I don't know if it's really anti-Semitic or not, but can you help me understand it? Or I'd be at some place, you know, some community lecture, synagogue lecture, public library lecture, and parents would wait around afterwards and say, you know, our daughter, our son just had this incident at his fraternity, at his school, at his sports club, in his high school. And we feel like it's anti-Semitic, but, but we don't quite know how to interpret it and how to understand it. So, and I've made mental notes and written notes of these things. So I went back and I took them and I sort of began to work through them. And I said, I'm going to make this an exchange of letters between me and a... Emory graduating senior, so someone who's gone through four years of college, a Jewish student. But I don't want these people to see this as a for Jews, by Jews kind of thing. It's broader than that. Um, and I added a colleague, a non-Jew, 
uh, professor at the law school, and, uh, you know, based on a couple of people I know who are very um, interested, understanding, connected to things Jewish, to Jews, um, but, but also have problems, troubles, challenges, really understanding anti-Semitism. So it's an exchange of letters amongst the three of us back and forth, and uh, I thought this would be a good way of getting a reader's attention um, and also appealing. What I'm very gratified about is that people are buying these books for college students. One synagogue bought them for all the college students in their synagogue. Um, others are buying them for the graduating seniors. No, you know, it's, people, it's, it's, it's really it's a great resource, and certainly the, the style works, and it, it sort of breaks it up into different aspects. It's very easy to read in chunks, and you know, probably uh, one piece of this that uh, I, I imagine students often come to you with is the question of Israel and whether mm-hmm. statements that are critical of Israel rise to the level of anti-Semitism. And many Jews are, are quick to label uh, criticism of Israel as anti-Semitism, which you note is, is not correct and simply right. sh- uh, shoots us in the foot. And tell us That's why, right. why you believe that. absolutely correct. Um, the, in fact, I'm going to quote the Israeli ambassador... Sweden. I was just in Sweden last week for their um, Holocaust Remembrance Day commemoration as a guest of a governmental agency. And at the um, main commemoration on Sunday afternoon, in front of over 900 people, packed into the grand, the great synagogue right in the heart of Stockholm, um, the Israeli ambassador said explicitly. Criticism of Israeli policies is not anti-Semitism. And he was so right. Criticism of Israeli policies is not anti-Semitism, just like criticism of American policies is not anti-Semitism, or criticism of British policies is not the criticism of American policies is not the anti-Americanism, or criticism of British policies is not anti-British. Right, and, and certainly Israelis are perhaps the most critical oh. of Israeli policy, and you can't say that they're anti-Semitic. Right. And, you know, of course, you know, um, you know this, because I'm sure you do it every day. Uh, you go to Haaretz.com, and you see there the most intense criticisms of Israeli policies. It's when you get into the existence, the right of the existence of the Jewish state, when you demand policies of the Jewish state that will lead to its disintegration, its end. Um, when you say there should be no Jewish state, and you say to the person, well, where are the six million Jews in the state supposed to go? They say, I don't care, let them go back to Poland. Remember, that was a famous comment a couple of years ago. Um, first of all, over half the Jews in Israel are Jews, are people of quote-unquote color. You know, they all, they're, they're darker, they're, whether it's Ethiopians, whether it's Yemenites, whether it's Iraqis, Moroccans, uh, Algerians, whatever it might be, they're not, they're not, as the rest of the world would see them, white. Uh, so it's when you get into the question of the very existence, when you single out Israel, that's when you're verging on or having crossed the lines of anti-Semitism. So this is a, a very important point about when uh, criticism of Israel rises to the level of, uh, of anti-Semitism. Really, it's a matter of delegitimization. Um, we will get back to uh, Professor Deborah Lipstadt from Emory University. We're talking about her new book, Anti-Semitism Here and Now. You're listening to the AJC Live Radio Show on WVOX 1460 AM, a Whitney Global Media Station in New Rochelle, New York. I'm Scott Richmond, the local director for AJC. Call us with your comments or questions at 
636-0110, and I will put you on the air. Stay tuned for more of AJC Live right after the break. Let's return to AJC Live with Scott Richmond on 1460 WVOX. I now continue an enlightening discussion with Professor Deborah Lipstadt, who wrote Professor of Modern Jewish History and Holocaust Studies at Emory University. Her new book, entitled Anti-Semitism Here and Now, launches tomorrow, and I've had the privilege of reading this important book. A reminder that this is the AJC Live Radio Show. I'm Scott Richmond, the Westchester Fairfield Director for AJC, and I welcome your comments or questions at 914-636-0110. Just before the break, we were talking about when criticism of Israel rises to the level of anti-Semitism. That brings to mind, or to my mind, the uh, working definition of anti-Semitism. AJC has been a big proponent of this definition, which has now been accepted by the U.S. government, the EU, and other governments. Uh, And a main feature of it is that it includes this definition of when uh, criticism of Israel rises to the level of anti-Semitism. However, from my read of the book, you're not 100% sold on the working definition. Um, I think the working definition is good. I think it's been misunderstood with some of the examples that have been given, which which the the, the people who are writing the definition were trying to uh, really uh, make it clear that things like his criticism of Israeli policies is not anti-Semitism. So I'm no no I don't have any particular grudge with the working definition. Um, I think the important thing is to remember, as I said earlier, that template of finance power, malicious use of that power, malicious control. Um, I think the, the other thing is to understand that it's persistent. In an interview with the New York Times right after um, Pittsburgh, I described it as distasteful as it may sound, as a herpes virus. You know, a herpes virus, I think until recently now with some new medication, could never really be fully eradicated. It was always in your body lying dormant. You would hear horror stories of the uh, bride who would wake up, you know, on the morning of uh, the eve of her wedding, only to find she had an herpes, herpes sore on her on her lip or something, because it's there and it shows itself when the person is under stress, when there is stress in the society, etc. So um, that's why, right, going back to what we were saying in the beginning, I see it as you know, sort of uh, a persistent. Old wine, you know, old wine in new bottles, persistent, and it's got a structure. It's not just, I don't like that Jew, but I don't like that person because they're Jewish. You know, that's the difference. So let's talk about another very uh, new manifestation, which is BDS. Uh, BDS, Mm -hmm. or or the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement, is very much in the news these days, uh, with the Senate just passing legislation last week uh, against such boycotts. Uh, BDS has been touted by supporters as merely a nonviolent response to injustice, while those who oppose it see it as a, an anti-Semitic double standard being applied to the state of Israel. Are those who support BDS anti-Semitic? Not all of them. And I know that's going to confuse some of your listeners, but um, I know students in particular who have uh, you know, signed on to the BDS movement, are part of the BDS movement, who I don't think are anti-Semitic. I think in their reasoning, which I find somewhat simplistic or not fully informed, they feel, oh, it's just like my parents, excuse me, or my grandparents, who um, 
were against apartheid. This is a nonviolent way to stop uh, policies with which I disagree. The problem is that the people who created the BDS movement, the people behind the BDS movement, the people organizing the BDS movement, um, are uh, clearly um, anxious for, intent upon the destruction of the state of Israel, the end of the state of Israel, certainly as we know it today. So that's you know, a, it's a very important distinction. I mean, often we talk about BDS, and we talk about the BDS movement, and those two things are uh, could be uh, different from one another, whereas somebody may support BDS, but, but they may not support the principles of the BDS movement. Uh-huh, exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, so I think we have to be careful, because if a kid, a kid, or even, in fact, sometimes faculty members who are supposedly well-informed, but not always so, uh, gets, goes on, uh, joins on, we shouldn't immediately declare, ah, they're anti-Semites. Um, I do think the BDS notion, as a notion, is with its intention on the destruction of the state of Israel, is anti-Semitic. But I think we've got to, you know, in the book, you note at the very beginning of the book, I think you mentioned this in our private conversation, that I have a note to the reader, asking the reader to read with nuance. In other words, don't come in here, you know, guns blazing, expect a, a rant, but listen carefully. Listen carefully to what this is all about. Um, and I think that's exceptionally important. Yeah, and, uh, and certainly, you know, there's also this issue of the double standard. You know, would these students um, be declaring BDS against human rights abusers around the world, against Syria, right. against that's Iran, exactly against right. Cuba, against you Venezuela, know, or are they only singling out the Jewish state, which certainly right. they could be accused that's, of anti-Semitism for that reason. That's exactly right. Now, I heard a, a, a horrifying story just this morning um, in conversation with Rabbi Angela Buchdahl, um, who is the rabbi at Central Synagogue here in New York, that in her congregation, there's a, a I believe in her congregation, but there's a young woman uh, uh, who attends a New York City public high school who applied for a letter of recommendation from her teacher for a summer program in Israel. And the teacher said yes, and then he said, um, after noticing that it was in Israel, um, we had a similar situation in the University of Michigan, but this is happening right here in your, in your listeners' neighborhood. Um, he said, oh, no, I can't sign that to you for, for, because it's in Israel. So this, this star, student who sounds awfully smart, boy, would I love to have her in my class, I said to him, just tell me, is there any other country that you wouldn't sign a recommendation for someone to go to or to spend a, go to a program in. And he thought about it. He said, no, I don't think so. And then he said something which just shows the stupidity of the, you know, singular. He said, and after all, there is a movement about Israel. There's not a movement about other countries. And I don't know whether he meant North Korea or Saudi Arabia. Um, of course, if he sent a student to Saudi Arabia, a female student, she couldn't drive or anything. But he singled out. Yeah, that, truly, truly shocking. And he's a Jew, but he engaged in what I would see as anti-Semitic action. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, it's time for a quick break, but we will return with the last segment of AJC Live and continue speaking with Professor Deborah Lipstadt from Emory University about her new book, Anti-Semitism Here and Now. Uh, you are listening to the AJC Live radio show on WVOX 1460 AM, a Whitney Global Media Station located in New Rochelle, New York. 
I'm Scott Richmond, the local director for AJC. Call us with your comments or questions at 914-636-0110, and I will put you on the air. Stay tuned for the last segment of 1460 WVOX. Let's return to AJC Live with Scott Richmond. On 1460 WVOX. I now continue an important discussion with Professor Deborah Lipstadt, DeRogue Professor of Modern Jewish History and Holocaust Studies at Emory University. Her new book entitled Anti-Semitism Here and Now launches tomorrow. And I've had the privilege of reading this important book. A reminder that this is the AJC Live Radio Show. I'm Scott Richmond, the Westchester Fairfield Director for AJC. And I welcome your comments or questions at 914-636-0110. Uh, Deborah, just before the break, um, we were talking uh, a bit about uh, the BDS movement. I want to move on to something else. Uh, you devote a, a section of the book to President Trump. Uh, you do mm-hmm. not see him as anti-Semitic, but you're concerned about the atmosphere that's been created. Has a genie mm-hmm. been let out of the bottle that cannot be put back? Um, I don't know. You're asking me to predict, and as a historian, we, we sort of shy away from predictions. We like to talk about what already happened, you know, because then you're usually right. Um, but, you know, I, if, you, if you remember in the introduction to the book, I talk about the fact that, and I'll get to Trump in a minute, that this was an exceptionally hard book to write because it was going on now. But then I said, you know, uh, if it was a hard book to write, it was an even harder book to finish because it seemed that every day there would be something you know, that would uh, come up, you know, whether it was DDS, whether it was the Women's March, whether it was Jeremy Corbyn, uh, uh, Victor Soros in Hungary, something would come up. Uh, Victor, Victor and, Orban, yeah, and George and Soros. I, yeah. I finished the book at the end of August. My editor literally had to drag it out of my hands. And so I wrote, I said, and I bet by the time this book appears, you know, there's a, there's a four or five month lag between finishing and the book appearing, um, something will have happened to change matters, and then came Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, uh, I, I can't predict in terms of Donald Trump. First of all, I want to say I have no idea what's in his heart uh, about Jews. My guess is that um, he feels very kindly, if not, ad- he admires them because, you know, if you remember his, I talk about it in the book, his speech to the Republican Jewish Coalition, he said, you know, you guys make money, I make money, uh, I'm a renegotiator, you know, after I finish a deal, I still go back and renegotiate, and I bet you all are renegotiators, too, <laughs> which is not a very ethical thing to be. Um, so, uh, no, but I'm not concerned with what is in someone's heart. I don't think um, that that's what counts. What I want to know is what they do. So I'm not going to, I'm about to leave for London tomorrow night for the launch of the book there. I'm not going to, and I'm speaking to a number of gatherings, one, one of which is at non-Jewish venue. Um, there'll be 700, 600, 700 people there last time I checked. And um, I'm not going to get into a debate whether I think Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite or not. Um, I think he's given us pretty clear indication, but that's not the issue. That's not the question to be asked. The question to be asked is, is this person's uh, action, do these persons, these persons' actions um, stir up the pot, uh, cause other people to feel emboldened to engage in anti-Semitic actions? That's the question to be asked. 
And I think that uh, Donald Trump has done that. He has that he has a base of supporters, like the people in Richmond. If they disagree with him, they only disagree with him that he hasn't built the wall faster and higher, hasn't cut out immigrants, hasn't, you know, uh, uh, done other things, anti-Semitic, racist, homophobic, whatever they might be. Um, uh, And if I have the support of such people, and I fundamentally disagreed with what they believe, at some point I would take advantage of an opportunity to say, no, you've got me wrong. I don't believe in what you're doing. I don't believe um, that what you're doing is correct, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I eschew it. I reject it. Um, he has, you know, even from his classic... Um, uh, comments about, you know, good people or nice people on both sides in Charlottesville and things like that. I'm sorry. Nice people don't walk through the street chanting, Jews will not replace us. Nice people don't walk through the street chanting, blood and soil, which is a Nazi, Luther Boden, um, which is a Nazi era statement, anti-Semitic statement, Jews are not of our blood, Jews not, are not of our soul. Nice people don't march through uh, the, the, the city uh, with swastika-like emblems. So uh, that, that was a signal. They took that as a signal to them. If it wasn't a signal to them, it should have been rejected and rejected strongly. The guy at uh, the shooter, the killer, whose name I doesn't deserve mentioning, in Pittsburgh, uh, the murderer, um, that was, was uh, disagreed with Donald Trump, with President Trump, because he felt he hadn't gone far enough in stopping immigrants. I mean, why did he pick the shul? He picked to shoot down the people in that synagogue because they had had a day in honor of immigrants, in honor of refugees, to support refugees, to support highest one's known as the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. Um, you know, if, if those are the people who are attracted to you, what are you doing to attract them? You, you're not responsible for everyone who is attracted, but at some point you've got to look, look at what you're saying and look at what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we only have another minute left, and I, I just want to ask you one more question. You, sure. you end the book with what may seem a surprising statement, that anti-Semitism is not the biggest problem facing Jews today. Uh, the oi versus the joy is the biggest problem. <laughs> what, what, is, what does that mean, and why did you choose to include yeah, that in this book? I wanted to end, I, I sort of at the very end, in my last letter, which is a letter to the Jewish student who has just graduated, you know, I want, she spent a, a year discussing anti-Semitism with me, and this is a conversation I've had with lots of my students, my Jewish students as they leave Emory. Um, you know, yes, there's what to be concerned about about anti-Semitism. I wouldn't have spent all this time writing this book, devoting my energies, my feelings, my emotions, my scholarship to it if I didn't think it was important. But we as Jews, here I was speaking to a Jew to Jew and not professor to students, we as Jews have to be careful of making the fight against anti-Semitism the driving force of our identity. If we let the anti-Semite control when we feel really Jewish and act on something really Jewish, what we do, what we've done is we've ceded to the oppressor control of our, over our identity. We've given them control, and we've turned Jew into object rather than Jew into subject. 
we turned it to what what it do, is done to Jews and not what Jews do. I was reminded this morning that when Edgar Bronfman became president of the World Jewish Congress, he went to talk to Rabbi Soloveitchik, commonly known in modern Orthodox circles as the Rav. And the Rav said to him, and, and it resonated with Edgar, you know, they come from two different ends of the religious spectrum, or they came from two different ends of the religious spectrum, uh, said to Edgar, um, Jews remember, Jews were put, not put on this earth only to fight anti-Semitism. We were put on this earth to do great things, to do great things as individuals, to do great things as Jews, to do great things as a Jewish community. We have to fight the good fight, but we also have to rejoice in who we are and live up to the principles of who we are. That's an excellent note to end on. Professor Deborah Lipstadt, many thanks for, uh, to you for being my guest on AJC Live today. Thank you for having me, and I'm a great fan of the AJC, and I will never forget the support they gave me at a crucial time in my life. So I am grateful. And everybody, uh, Deborah's incredibly insightful new book is entitled Anti-Semitism Here and Now. Uh, It's a fast and engaging read, which offers a full understanding of the nuance and complexity of anti-Semitism in the world today. I I just want to read you this quote from Brett Stevens, who reviewed the book in the New York Times this past Sunday. He said she has written a book that combines erudition, clarity, accessibility, and passion at a moment when they could not be needed more. Uh, I think that is an incredible vote of confidence in this book. So uh, it launches tomorrow. Uh, and you can buy it on Amazon or wherever you uh, you buy books. It's a, a book from uh, Shockin' Books is the publisher. Uh, for now, that wraps up this 107th AJC Live radio show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can listen to the podcast of all the shows at ajc.org forward slash West Fair. Uh, for those of you on Facebook, you can find the shows there. Uh, Please like the AJC Westchester Fairfield page, comment on the post so you can join the conversation, and share the post so that your friends will also be exposed to the issues. AJC Live will not air in two weeks. Uh, The show will return one month from today on Monday, March 4th from 12 to 1 p.m. with the annual sneak peek uh, look at this year's Westchester Jewish Film Festival, which opens on April 2nd. Until then, this is Scott Richman wishing all of you peace. Shalom. WVOX, WVIP HD2, and WVIP HD3.